Our scripture this morning comes to us from Psalm 48. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within its citadels, God has shown himself a sure defense. Then the kings assembled, they came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic. They took to flight. Trembling took hold of them there. Pains as of a woman in labor, as when an east wind shatters the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God establishes forever. We ponder your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. Your name, O God, like your praise, reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with victory. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the towns of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go all around it. Count its towers. Consider well its ramparts. Go through its citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God forever and ever. He will be our guide forever. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Andrew, and thank you, choir, for the, for the wonderful music, as always. And thank you, Michael and Sherry, for being with us today and sharing your work and, and your witness. We're grateful. Folks just need to be more committed. How many bazillion times have you heard folks say that? But why should folks be more committed to the church and to the Lord of the church, Jesus the Christ, to Almighty God and to the things of God? There are so many other good, important, worthwhile things to which we can commit ourselves, our time and our resources. And I started thinking about what all of those things are. Sports, for example, huge multi-billion dollar thing in our society, massive amounts of time and energy and money committed to sports annually. Now, I know many of you are looking at me about this point and saying, you hypocrite. And I'll admit, I love to talk about football and baseball and sometimes basketball as much as most anyone. But occasionally something comes along that'll even put sports in perspective. A story I saved from, from years ago, and some of you may remember this. It uh, came out of the Atlanta, Atlanta newspaper and was on the front page of the sports section. And it was September 1993, and the headline read, 18-5, Braves Pound Expos lead by three and a half. But there were two articles under that headline, and one of them had to do with that record run total and how significant that seemed to be. And the other was titled, Bedrosian's Son Has Relapse of Leukemia. And in that article, Cody Bedrosian is quoted as having said to his well-known pitcher father, Steve, he said, Dad, no more crying. And the accompanying article, of course, detailed how the Braves had set a record, scored 18 runs in one game, but it seems to me that a six-year-old struggling with a potentially life-threatening disease 
That sort of puts a baseball game into perspective every time, doesn't it? So many good things to which we commit ourselves. Sports are one or can be one. Civic clubs are another. And most civic clubs do a great deal of good in the communities where they're located. Some of you I've heard and seen in the local paper and other places are members of civic clubs in this county and this city. I have in days past been a Kiwanian, a Lion, and a Rotarian. So I know a little bit about those things. And then there are charitable organizations that focus on identifying and meeting the needs of persons in every community, in this community. An endless list of such groups, some of them are particular to this area. And you know about that. You're a part of that. And most of these groups are on the up and up and do a great deal of good. And then there are fraternal organizations, lodges and sororities and fraternities and so forth, groups that sometimes meet the need that we all have to belong, to be a part of something, to be included, to feel like we're making a difference. There are political action committees, there are our hobbies, our work, all good things to which we should and often do commit ourselves. But why should folks, why should we be committed to the things of God? Now, before I attempt to answer that question on our behalf, allow me a few words about God's commitment to each of us. And God is committed to us. That's true, isn't it? The psalmist raised the question centuries ago, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? The psalmist also worked at an answer to that question that had been raised. Yet you have made us a little lower than God and crowned us with glory and honor. You've given us dominion over the work of your hands, and you've put all things under our feet. And then Psalm 48 that Andrew read a moment ago talks about God as our guide forever and ever. God committed to us to lead us, to guide us, to give meaning and purpose to our time here on this planet. The story of God and God's commitment to God's people begins way back in the book of origins, the book of beginnings. The title of Genesis means origin. And out of original chaos, God created an orderly world. A preeminent place for human beings was established there. And while we were still just an idea in God's mind or a twinkle in God's eye, God was already committed to us committed to providing for our every need in this world. Chapter 4 of the Book of Beginnings, an unusual yet familiar story of God's commitment to one of God's children, Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's first two young'uns. Abel was a shepherd and Cain was a farmer, a worker of the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering from the ground that he had grown and Abel brought an offering from his flock. The Lord was pleased with Abel's offering, but would not accept Cain's offering. Cain was angry, and at the first opportunity, he killed Abel. God confronted Cain. Where's your brother? I don't know. Who appointed me to take care of him? Maybe we've said the same thing about a sibling when we were growing up. I probably said that about some of my younger siblings. I probably should not have said it. So... Cain was sentenced to be a wanderer, sentenced to be a 
fugitive on the earth. Cain said, Lord, this is more than I can handle, having to leave my work, the soil that I love. And besides that, wanderers have a way of just sort of disappearing, never being heard from again. Sometimes they just wake up dead. God said to Cain, anyone that tries to harm you will have to go through me. And God put a mark on Cain so that no one would kill him. No one would harm him. And contrary to what we may have heard at times, the mark of Cain was not for punishment. It was not for humiliation. It was not a scarlet letter of sword. It was for protection. God was committed to protecting Cain, even though Cain had committed a heinous crime, a terrible thing. Have any of us ever sensed God's love and God's protection at a time in our lives when we knew we did not deserve it? Cain and Abel, Genesis chapter 4. In chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, Noah and the ark. The ark came to symbolize salvation. An ark of salvation. God's commitment to preserve life on this earth, especially human life, the highest of the created order. And when the second book of the Bible, Exodus, begins, God's people are in bondage in Egypt. And out of the slavery, out of the bondage, their cry for help reaches the ear of God, and God will not turn a deaf ear to God's people. God cannot, will not turn a deaf ear to the children he loves. So the outward journey, the exodus from Egypt, the deliverance from bondage begins. And the chief human figure of this unfolding drama is Moses. Moses is a murderer. You remember what he did back in Egypt? And through it all, confrontation with Pharaoh, signs and wonders and plagues, Passover, death of the firstborn, through it all, God was unfailing and God was unfaltering in his commitment to these stiff-necked people. Stubborn people. For a moment now, let's go into those computers that are our minds and pull up on our screens just a couple of those stories that we learned as children. The stories might have been entered, placed there by parents or Sunday school teachers or preachers or teachers or missionaries. The stories might have come from someone unsuspected. I wanted to say that in every one of these stories, there is a clear commitment on God's part to God's people, to men and women and children. So a few of those stories, very briefly, you know most of these stories. You remember when Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down for six days? Joshua, seven priests with seven trumpets and other warriors, and the Ark of the Covenant, they circled the city once a day. And on the seventh day, they circled the city seven times, and the priests sound off on the trumpet, and the people shout to the top of their lungs. I've never, many of you have, I know you've told me about it, been in New Orleans at Mardi Gras time. I haven't, I've seen and heard about some of the things that happened there, but this reminded me of that a little bit, of what I've seen. This was a jubilant get down, cut up kind of parade that was going on around this city and it was a time of great joy and when Joshua said shout the people threw back their heads and shouted and the walls fell down and God's people entered the city and there was much destruction and you remember who was saved in that city 
who was spared? Rahab, a woman of the evening, someone who would show up in the lineage, the family heritage of Jesus. These stories connect in some amazing kind of ways. You remember a Philistine named Goliath and an Israelite named David. Goliath was a big fella, large, tall guy, six cubits in a span, about 10 feet tall. Wonder how often he got called for, for gold tending. David was the youngest of Jesse's eight sons. The Philistines were one of the enemies of God's people at the time and Goliath was their chief warrior and he would tease and he would pick at these people and he would taunt them. And they were so weary of him and they were so afraid of him. And one day, David was sent out to the battlefront to take lunch to his brothers who were engaged with the army in the battle. And he heard the giants boasting and decided to get involved. David had to convince King Saul to let him take the giant down. Saul finally agreed and he sent him out with the Lord's blessings. And then David realized I cannot fight this battle in the armor of Saul. And he went out with a sling, a slingshot perhaps. Five slick, smooth, shiny stones from the stream. And he slung those stones and embedded the first one in the forehead of the giant and Goliath died and then had his head removed. But when the Philistines witnessed the destruction of their warrior, all the wind went out of their sails. Goliath was committed to fear and intimidation, but God was committed to God's people. And God prevailed. Do you remember the Babylonian bully king Nebuchadnezzar, the one who made a furnace. First of all, he made a golden statue that was 60 cubits high, way, way taller, way higher than even a Goliath. And then the king issued a decree that everyone would come and bow down and worship this golden idol. And those who refused to worship would be thrown into a fiery furnace. Well, word reaches Nebuchadnezzar that there are three young Jewish men who are committed to the Lord God of Israel, the one living God and the God of their ancestors. And you know their names as well as you know your own. Many of you do. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three rebels were brought into the presence of his highness. And after all of this direct inquiry and, and the description of the consequences of their lack of obedience, they still refused to change their hearts. And the king wanted to know, who is this God that you so stubbornly refuse to turn your back on? And they answered the monarch in unison, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If this God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, lowercase letters, and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. And to me, that's one of the most powerful statements of faith in all of scripture. Maybe it's a statement of trust to say our God will deliver us. But to go on and say, but even if God does not deliver us, we will not forsake our God. A powerful statement of faith. 
and they remained loyal to him. And they did not bow down before the big gold thing that Nebuchadnezzar had built. And the rest of the story is a testimony to the commitment of God to God's people. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego tossed into the furnace and the king looked on. And you know the story. There were four people walking around in the furnace. God present. Even there when they came out, they didn't even smell like smoke. One of those fascinating stories you learn in Sunday school. And you realize God's commitment to God's people. And then there were the God called, God sent prophets. Too many to name this morning who proclaimed God's presence and God's love and pleaded that God's people might be reclaimed from error's ways to borrow a phrase. Excuse me, a phrase from the hymn writer. And then, just when it seemed that God's commitment to God's people had come to an end, that it was to be no more, there was from a stable in a little nowhere place called Bethlehem, the cry of a baby. And as if that were insufficient, there was the crying of the baby's mother 30 years later as the instrument of her son's death cast its shadow across the earth and across the centuries. And then it was on a Sunday morning when God's commitment caused the stone to be rolled away and not long after the Holy Spirit would come upon God's people, God's church to encourage and enlighten and empower and continues to do so to this day. God's presence on this earth, a reality. God's presence with God's people here in this church and elsewhere, around the globe, a reality. An awesome presence. Incredible, mysterious, beyond description. Oh, goodness. Time's about up. And I've spent most of my allotted time this morning commenting on God's commitment to us. Our original question, why should we be committed to the things of God, has gone unanswered. Hmm? Or has it? Amen.